Pastor Mark bring us the word. Good morning. <clears throat> Our uh, passage this morning is Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. We've been studying Proverbs this summer. We will be all summer. And the first few messages were more, we might say, general general appeals to why you want to live wisely, why you want to live in the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. So that was the first few messages. Then starting last week and through the rest of the summer, we're going to dive down into specific topics uh, to which wisdom speaks, different areas of our life that we need wisdom in. So last week we talked about sexual temptation and how wisdom helps us avoid going down that road. This week is about a different kind of temptation. So let's read the text and find out what it is. This is Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Let's pray. Hmm. I can think of two possibilities here, Lord, that we might say, I'm not that person and then tune out the rest of this message. Or there could be someone who's like, that's me, and I already feel bad, and so can we move on? <laughs> and Lord, you, knew, you know each of our hearts. You know where we're at. But you have a word here for all of us, and you have grace here for all of us. All of your word is for that. It's, it's mercy to us. It reveals your heart. It reveals your ways, which are good to walk in. And so would you show us those things, and especially show us, Jesus Christ and Him crucified and how He is the answer and the core of everything behind all that we read. We just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to state the obvious, this passage is about a person described as a sluggard. That's not a word we use much in normal conversation. <laughs> uh, but we do know it's derivatives. We, we use those. So the word slug uh, describes a snail without a shell, that slimy, oozy creature that creeps along at a snail's pace, because it is one. Uh, we use the word sluggish. I feel sluggish, uh, which means I'm having trouble getting going. <laughs> uh, I don't feel particularly motivated. I'm, I'm drained and tired and... It's kind of hard to get going. So a sluggard is a person like that. He has things he should do, maybe things he needs to do, but he's just not motivated. He just doesn't seem to get there. And the Lord has something to say about that. He has wisdom for the sluggard. Now, why is this important to address? Well, it's because you and I we're created by God to do something meaningful with our lives. And being a sluggard interferes with that. Jesus said in John 17, 4, 
I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. In a similar way, God has given each of us a work to do, a unique calling on our life, a unique contribution that we have to His overall plan of redemption, of restoring uh, His image in His image bearers, which has fallen because of sin. And, And He's given us a part in that. He's given us a glorious thing to be a part of, but the sluggard in us will keep us from realizing it. So we're going to walk through this passage and learn wisdom for the sluggard, because if we're honest, there is a sluggard in all of us. There are times we know we should do something, and we just don't want to. (laughs) There are certain responsibilities we just don't want to face, and that can become a life pattern, but it doesn't have to be. There's a way forward so that we can experience the satisfaction of what the Apostle Paul called in Ephesians 2, the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let's look at a text for wisdom that's going to liberate us from the tendency of the sluggard. We'll start with the wisdom of the ant. The wisdom of the ant. Verse 6, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. What a humbling thought. Here we are, intelligent human beings, (laughs) rulers of the animal kingdom, and the Lord tells us to stop and look at ants. (laughs) These tiny, insignificant little pests that we spray for to keep out of our house. It's the only time they get my attention. Lions we might be okay with. Go to the lion and learn. Okay, noble, mighty, strong. But no, ants. Go look at ants. (laughs) These creatures must become our teachers if we are sluggards. And already that gives us a glimpse into the root problem of being a sluggard. It's not fundamentally laziness. It's not just a love of ease though that's probably the predominant characteristic. But beneath the laziness is pride. This is what Proverbs 26, 16 teaches. It says, The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. If seven wise people all say, Hey, you need to do such and such, the sluggard says, No, I don't. Stop bothering me. Or, yes, I'll get to that, but he ends up not doing it because he finds good reasons not to. The sluggard won't listen to sensible people. He won't respond to counsel. He won't change his or her direction. And it's not because of an inability to do what he should do. It's about a heart disposition. Proverbs 21.25 says, The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. Some people are legitimately tired, weak, disability, disabled by illness, so they have trouble getting going because of barriers outside of their control. But that's not the sluggard. The sluggard's the person who can, relate, can labor, but he refuses to. It's a heart issue. I know better. I can put this off. I don't have to do that. It's a pride issue. 
So right away, the Lord begins dealing with this in all of us. He says, humble yourself and learn a thing or two from the ant. (laughs) And we have a lot to learn. So let's see what it is. Verses 7 and 8, they describe the life of the ant. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. That tells us two main things. The ant is internally motivated and she does what's needed when it's needed. Another way to say that is she's responsible. She's motivated, she's responsible. Let's consider those two things in turn. She's internally motivated. We're told she doesn't require the external pressure of a chief officer or ruler watching over her in order for her to get going. She knows what to do, and she's just doing it. She has an inner motivation that compels her. You'll notice that if you've ever watched ants at work. Uh, Several summers ago when we were new to Colorado, I learned that if you don't spray around your house in the spring, you will get ants in your basement. So that happened. One day I went down to my basement, and there was this column of ants coming down the wall and across the floor like an ant highway, like hundreds of ants, little black ants. And so I, 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 that got my attention. So I, I look at them, like, is that really what I think it is? And it is, and they're going in two directions. Like there's some that are coming in and there's some going out carrying stuff, carrying away all of our valuable goods in miniature form <laughs> out to their anthill. And you look at that and you're going like, how do these hundreds and even thousands of ants know where to go and what to do? And, and how, do they, how do they just do it? They just, they're just motivated. They don't have anybody cracking the whip. They're just all doing their job. They're ants doing ant things. They're internally motivated without a chief officer or ruler. Now, in the human sphere... This is the employee that the boss never has to worry about. The boss knows that once he's given instructions and tasks, they're going to get done. He doesn't have to micromanage this person, doesn't have to keep checking in, isn't going to find his employee wasting time playing Candy Crush Saga on his smartphone. He knows that this worker is internally motivated to do their work. To be that kind of person is to be wise. That's skillful living, and that's a beautiful thing. When I was a supervisor at my old job, I had a couple of lab technicians that reported to me. And one, I knew that whenever I gave her something to do, she was going to knock it out of the park. She was going to own that thing, and she was going to get it done. It was going to be fantastic. The other one, well, you never knew. (laughs) She might get it done. She might not. You just couldn't tell. As a supervisor, that was hard because we enge- engineers were doing this work for engineers and they want their stuff. They want, they want answers, you know, and we're supposed to give them the answers. So it's a little hard to have an employee like that. But the one that knocks it out of the park, you're like, yes, <laughs> I want five of you. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Wisdom is attractive. We learned that in chapter one. A person who's motivated internally, who doesn't need a chief officer or ruler to force compliance, is a beautiful thing. Second, we learn from the ant. She does what's needed when it's needed, which is to say she's responsible. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. 
In other words, she knows that winter is coming. She's got a few months to gather in her food. So even though it's hot, even though the days are long, even though it's hard work, she knows I've got to do it now. Because later, when it gets cold, the ant community is going to have to hunker down and stay underground for months. So if we're going to eat in the future, we have to work hard today. The ant does what's needed when it's needed. She's responsible. Now, in the human sphere, this is the college student who endures classes she doesn't like because she knows it's necessary to get her degree. It's the minimum wage earner who puts away some money every month in order to buy a car. This is the person who's okay with delayed gratification. Long days and hard work now in order to bring about some good end later, in order to provide for yourself and others. There's a word that's been coined for this in recent years. It's called adulting. (laughs) I saw a t-shirt that said, I can't adult today. (laughs) It's turned into a verb now. To adult means getting up when your alarm clock goes off, going to your job, paying bills, maybe raising kids, and all this stuff in life that is work. And the sluggard wears the t-shirt. Not today. (laughs) I can't adult today. He'd much rather eat pizza and watch Netflix and hope that all the other things will just kind of take care of themselves. So we go to the ant and we learn. We learn to adult. We learn that to be internally motivated and responsible with what's in front of us is a good thing. It's skill for life. Now, we need to add something to our understanding of this before we move on. If I stopped here, we might think, well, this is just about being a responsible, productive person in the world. But it's more than that. Otherwise, you could learn all of this, not from the Bible, but you could learn this from your boss. You could learn this from a secular self-help book. You could learn this from blogs. Lots of people can tell you how to get things done, how to adult. What sets Proverbs apart is that these life principles are in the context of knowing that God has created us and this world. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, we recognize there's a God who has purposes for us in this world, that this world runs according to a divine plan and a divine mind. And true wisdom is to be about God's purposes for us. It's doing everything we do to serve His ultimate purposes. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 2.10, We are His workmanship Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works. Those are the things that are not just productive and responsible, but they are in alignment with God's will. It's about being a part of your father's business doing your Creator's will, to be busy for the kingdom of God, to be using your individual talents and personality and resources to bring Him glory. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's the underlying purpose, even of the mundane adulting things. Scripture tells us what this life looks like. 
at the basic level, it's the creation mandate of Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, as God's image bearers, we populate this earth and we subdue or bring it under our control in a good sense. It means we harness and direct the potential God has placed into this world for a good end, like the jockey who's getting his horse to win the Kentucky Derby. He's subdued that horse, but for a good end. So this is all of your adulting. This is your occupation that brings some service or some product to others. It's raising your children and managing a home. It's the art you create so that we can see or hear beauty. All these things are subduing the earth. All these things are harnessing the potential that God has put in them, in the world and in us, to do things like our Creator does. He's creative God. He's a doing God. He's a working God. And so we're imitating Him when we're doing all those mundane things of life. But it's more than that. It's doing these things to the glory of God, which means we do them in a way that's consistent with the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. It's in the, in the atmosphere of that that we are doing. And it's in the atmosphere of the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. It's about being a part of God's redemptive plan to help fallen humanity rediscover and come back to their Creator, to repent of sin and find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. It's a part of that big picture which we're doing things. It's all kingdom business. The wise person is all about kingdom business. That's why you can be a busy person and still be a sluggard. Because you can be busy building your own kingdom and neglecting the kingdom of God. You can be busy making money or making a name for yourself or raising a family, but when it comes to pursuing a relationship with God or committing to a church, or telling another person about Jesus, we can be sluggish. We're not so eager to do that. The ant is doing what God purposed for her to do. And she does it with this inner motivation and with responsibility. If we'll be wise like her, we'll be motivated and responsible to walk in the good works that God has created for us to do. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You can't fully do this unless you are a Christian. Because Paul said we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The works flow from being connected to Christ. We are in Christ, joined to Christ, getting our life from Christ. That's how we can now walk in these good works. First join to Christ, then the works, not the reverse. We sometimes think, I'll do the works and then I'll have the life. No, the life comes first, then the works. Being joined to Jesus through faith in Him as Savior, it puts you into a new realm. Now you're God's workmanship, literally His poem, His work of art. His unique portrait, if you will. A person with specific gifts and abilities and opportunities and resources. Personality. 
God's workmanship, but created in Christ for God's good works, for God's purposes. Being a sluggard can prevent us from that, though, when we're sluggish about these things. So let's talk more about the sluggard. He's so very different from the ant. (laughs) The foolishness of the sluggard. Having exhorted the sluggard to learn wisdom from the ant, verse 9 poses a follow-up question. How long will you lie there? Oh, sluggard, when will you arise from your sleep? You can just picture one or more people standing around the sluggard who's stretched out on his bed or on his couch with the remote in his hand. Uh, He's in his recliner. He's awake, half awake. He's inert, doing nothing. Maybe he hasn't heeded the counsel to go to the ant. Whatever the case, some action was expected of him, and the onlookers are exasperated. How long? When, they ask, it's clear to them that a motivated person, a responsible person, would have been up doing something by now. But this guy's not going anywhere. His only response to the question is verse 10, which is either a direct quote, which is how the NASB translated it, or is a summary of his position. But his response is, a little sleep, a little slumber. A little folding of the hands to rest. I just want a little more. Just a little more time. Just just a little more sleep. That expores, exposes the character of the, slug, of the sluggard right there. I want to describe the contours of the sluggard, his character and his foolishness. I want to bring in some other proverbs as well, which explain the heart behind that response. I'll mention three attributes. These have been helpfully summarized by Derek Kidner in his commentary on Proverbs, I'm paraphrasing them a little bit. Three characteristics of the sluggard. First one is, the sluggard won't start things. Sluggard won't start things. They ask the question, how long? When? When are you going to do something? But the sluggard always wants more time. Just give me a little more sleep. Give me a little more rest, a little more slumber, and then I'll think about it. We have a name for that. It's called procrastination. It's delaying or postponing something until another day. It's the mentality that says, if it's not due tomorrow, it isn't due. I don't have to do it right now. Can you relate to that at all? I know I can. And why can we relate? Because the thing that we're putting off, though probably of first importance, is something that we don't like as much as we like something else. Maybe because it's more work. Maybe because it involves sacrifice. Or maybe we don't feel very good at it. Maybe it's risky. So we gravitate toward what we do like, towards what we feel comfortable with, towards what gives us more pleasure. I remember when we moved our offices in our former church in Minnesota. Our admin needed me to give him a projected budget numbers for the year. He needed it for a report. Now, I don't love finances. I don't love budgets or budgeting or anything having to do with finances except spending. That I enjoy. But the rest of it, I would rather not ever think about it. And, and uh, our admin people know this. <laughs> about me. 
so here's what I did after we, when we moved into our new offices. I spent the first two days organizing my books because I like organization. And I'm organizing, and I thought, this is a good opportunity to also put it in a spreadsheet so that I know what I have. In case I'm not in the office, I can look at my spreadsheet, and before I buy a book, I'll know I already have that book. Or I can categorize them. Here's all the books about this kind of theology and that kind. And So this is going on in my head for two days. Meanwhile, my admin is sitting there like, where's the budget numbers? We need this report. And he's getting a little frustrated with me. I was busy. But I was procrastinating. I was a busy sluggard. Choosing what I like over what I was responsible for. The sluggard doesn't start things. He puts them off. He always wants a little more time. But wisdom tells us to get going. I love this counsel on procrastination from an old Scottish preacher of the 1800s. His name was Alexander McLaren. Here's what he said. No unwelcome tasks become any the less unwelcome by putting them off till tomorrow. (laughs) It is only when they are behind us and done that we begin to find that there is a sweetness to be tasted afterwards and that the remembrance of unwelcome duties unhesitatingly done is welcome and pleasant. Accomplished, they are full of blessing and there is a smile on their faces as they leave us. (laughs) I love that image. When you check off that do list box, it's done, it's gone, and it's smiling at me. Thank you for accomplishing me. (laughs) Undone, they stand threatening and disturbing our tranquility and hindering our communion with God. If there be lying before you any bit of work from which you shrink, go straight up to it and do it at once. The only way to get rid of it is to do it. (laughs) Wise words. The the slugger doesn't start things. Let's move on to the second characteristic, which is that the slugger won't finish things. He won't finish things. Proverbs 19.24 says, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. In other words... When he finally does start something, he loses interest halfway before it's done. It's his meal goes cold and he doesn't want to eat it anymore. This is the guy who buys the treadmill in January and puts it in the garage sale in June. This is the person who starts the Bible study or discipleship group and then drops out predictably after five weeks. This is the person who's always changing churches because they get bored or annoyed or because they hear of something more interesting down the road. They don't persevere. They're ready to drop out as soon as it gets hard or as soon as something else captures their attention. Let me just say, you can't build a church with people like that. Everything worth doing for the kingdom of God requires some hardship. It requires some sacrifice and even at times a lot of mundane and seemingly unimportant tasks. But the benefit is in seeing something through to the end, which is why Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not grow, if we do not give up. 
sticking it out to the end. That's wisdom. That's where you reap the benefit. That's where the harvest is. One more characteristic. The sluggard won't face things. Proverbs 22.13 is insightful on this. The sluggard says, There is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Now, what's he saying? Well, it means that in order to get out of some responsibility, the sluggard makes up ludicrous excuses to justify not doing it. The reason I can't go out into the streets, into the world of responsibilities and commerce and people, is because a lion will eat me. (laughs) Really? I don't think so. (laughs) Main Street is not usually where you find lions. They stay away from populated areas. You see, the sluggard bends reality to rationalize his own laziness, his own inactivity. He creates a reason in his own mind about why he can't do what God has called him to do in the great commandment or the great commission or the creation mandate. Like Moses saying, I can't lead your people. I am a man of slow speech. We make up excuses. We pass up opportunities. We talk ourselves out of things. So maybe you are asked to lead something. Maybe it's a discipleship group. Maybe it's a ministry team. And you say, oh, no, I wouldn't be any good at that. Maybe you have an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. And, and we tell ourselves, no, they're not interested. No, they, they don't want to know that. They would, they would just throw it in my face. We, make, we, make, we bend reality, we make up excuses, we, we paint these pictures that, that satisfy our conscience when we stop doing what God wants us to do. We gravitate to what makes us comfortable and we make up excuses when we don't want to or when we're afraid to do something that the Lord has put in front of us, something that if we did it, we would find Him to be faithful, to give us sufficient grace to do that thing. We don't face things and do them trusting God to come through for us. So the sluggard doesn't start things, he doesn't finish things, he doesn't face things. And that has consequences. So verses 10 to 11 describe those consequences. Again, it says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Okay, you want to go down that road? Here's where it leads. Poverty will come upon you like a robber. And want like an armed man. This isn't the kind of poverty and want that comes from circumstances outside your control. There is such a thing as the righteous poor. This is is the kind that comes as a result of pride that won't start things or finish things or face things. This is a picture of missed opportunities because of foolishness. The Lord prepared good works for us to do. We could have been involved in them. We could have reaped a harvest, but instead we end up with nothing. Instead of being a contributor in his great purposes in the world, we become a spectator on the outside looking in spiritually and maybe even physically impoverished. But remember that the reason for the warnings in scriptures is because the Lord doesn't want us to experience that outcome. He is for us. His word is life. He invites us into life. 
His desire is that we get involved in his great mission and experience the riches of his grace and know what it's like for you to step out in faith and for him to come and meet you with grace. And yes, you couldn't do it in your own strength, but he will do it. He wants us to experience that day by day. Face the thing and I will meet meet you there. I will be there. That's what he wants for us. I don't want you to be impoverished spiritually, outside looking in. Be a part of it. I've got great things for you. Let's conclude with one last point, which is the way forward for sluggards. The way forward. Here's where we don't want to go wrong. Because by now, probably if you're a breathing human being and you're awake, you have experienced some conviction about this topic, about being a sluggard in some way at some time. Now, it's very tempting when you're convicted about something to tell yourself, okay, now I'm going to be more diligent. This week, I'm going to discipleship group. Um, This week, I'm going to watch less Netflix. This week, I'm going to say to that coworker, I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. I've been putting that off. Now, all of those things might be good and right actions, but not until you've done something else first. First, you go back to the cross. First, you remember that Jesus died for sluggards. You see, we have a Savior who was not a sluggard, but who fully invested himself in the work God gave him to do, which was to bear the blame and the punishment for all of our sluggardly deeds or lack of deeds. Jesus started something. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And he finished that task on the cross. He said, it is finished. I've done it. I've paid the penalty for the sin. I've borne it in myself. And he did all that with a resolute commitment to face the agony of providing that salvation. Luke 9.51 says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He made no excuses. He didn't say, I can't do this. It's too hard. It's too dangerous. There's a lion in the streets. No, he knew it would be hard. He knew it would cost him his life. And he faced it because he loves us. Because he wants us to be free. He wants us to join him in the great mission, which is better than life. And it results in a a life forever. (laughs) If you're in Christ by faith, then... That's happened to you. The the salvation has been given to you. The forgiveness has been given to you. You're in Christ. You're a new creation. You're his workmanship. You're his poem. You're his artwork. You're his unique person that he formed and shaped for specific things to join in this great plan of redemption in this world. What a wonderful thing to be a part of. That's an eternally significant thing to be a part of. God has set us free from the mastery of sin, if you're a believer. From the controlling power of the sluggard so that we can walk in the works he's prepared beforehand. And they are ultimately satisfying to our souls because it's what we're created for. And when you're doing what you're created for, it feels right. 
It feels good. There's no regret in it, no shame in it, unlike so many other things we get involved in. As I said before, you can be a busy person and still be a sluggard. Your life can be full of activity. You got plans for your summer, plans for your life. You're going to the gym or to work or to dinner with friends. But you could be like Solomon in Ecclesiastes and do all of that stuff. And at the end of it, it's just vanity of vanities and striving after wind. You find out, you know, that wasn't really all that great. God's mission is better. Something eternal to live for. Using your creativity, your invention, your service in His his, in his care, um, doing what he created you to do, bringing people into relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, living in a manner worthy of your calling, showing the world what it's like to be free from your sin, doing what you do with God's smile. <laughs> That's what's really satisfying. So friends, what God-glorifying dream or initiative captures your interest? You know, what stirrings do you have of accomplishment for Christ? Is it leadership in the church? Maybe some of you younger men are called to be pastors, elders. Is it discipling others, pouring your life into one or two other people? Maybe God is calling some of you mature ladies to do that, to invest in some of the younger ladies who are coming along behind you not quite as far advanced in, in the knowledge of the Lord as maybe you are. Maybe the Lord is stirring some of you to spend time with that non-Christian coworker, take an interest in their life, look beyond their differences of worldview and lifestyle, and see them as made in the image of God and worth introducing to Jesus. Maybe you have a stirring for a particular ministry. We've got several families here who are involved in foster care. They've got ideas about how we can be involved in that. That's a vision God's given to them, an exploit for Jesus. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you about serving in children's ministry or joining us on the next Rancho 3M trip or helping with a church plant. Maybe it's to use your job to make lots of money to give to worthy gospel causes (laughs) or to just do it as a a seed, uh, as salt and light in a dark environment. Maybe it's to use your suffering as a platform to tell others about the grace of God that is sufficient in all things. It could be a thousand different things, but God has given us a work to do. Let's not say there's a lion in the street, so I can't do it. Let's not make excuses that prevent us from engaging in great exploits for Jesus. He will help us. He will come to our aid. His grace is sufficient. And there's no fear of trying and messing up. I think that's the common reason we don't say yes to certain responsibilities or ministries. It exposes our sin. Um, it exposes our weakness when you have to like do something <laughs> that you're responsible for. Uh, and then we realize, you know, I'm really not, I'm not God <laughs> and that I fail a lot. <laughs> and that's partly why I think we hold back. It's just, I just don't want to be exposed for who I really am. You know, and if I, if I stay away from things, then, then I can keep that image. But when you actually step forward and do something, especially if you lead something, it's like, okay, I'll now all of a sudden my sin's in front of everybody. And that can hold us back. But 
The gospel has an answer for that. Your sins are forgiven in Christ. And you have weaknesses? Great. Boast in your weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on you. Let me leave you this encouragement not to fear failure in saying yes to some venture for Christ. This is from Richard Sibbs in his book, The Bruised Reed, another Puritan guy. He said this, Some are loath to do good. They don't want to do something. Because they feel their hearts rebelling and duties turn out badly, we should not avoid good actions because of the infirmities attending them. Christ looks more at the good in them, which he means to cherish, than the ill in them, which he means to abolish. Christ loves to taste of the good fruits that come from us, even though they will always savor of the old nature. He just has a heart for us. Our, our offerings are acceptable to Him through the blood of Christ, according to Peter. So we can try and we can fail, and it's okay. <laughs> he loves to taste of the good fruits of stepping out, putting aside the sluggard, and trusting God and moving forward. Let's not back, hold back from pursuing exploits for the name of Jesus. May our church be an anthill of activity for the Lord. <laughs> And your families, your, your homes. Uh, an anthill where He's present, we exist underneath His grace and His favor, and we're going about our Father's business. You know He's given us the Holy Spirit to do that. He's forgiven our sins. We can. We can move forward. Let's be about our Father's business. That's wisdom. Let's, let's pray. Lord, please dispel any sort of guilt motivation as a result of this message. I got to do better. I'm, I'm feeling convicted. I got to do better. Lord, instead, free us. Free us to realize, hey, we're, we're, we're in the family for a believer. We're, we're, we're your sons and daughters. You love us. We're not going anywhere. We're going to be in your eternal home forever. Uh, and just help us to see your smile. Stepping out in faith, this pleases you, and we need to, it, it takes faith to do anything for you, but, but you're sufficient, your grace is sufficient, so help us to know it. And then would you like generate ideas and passions and, you know, ministry things that, that you've called us to do? Let, it, let, the thing, let those things flow. And Lord, would you bring in new people into your kingdom as a result? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.